Amen. Thank you for that song of worship this morning. Well, our series for the beginning of the year here in January has been Together for the Faith, and it's taken right from Philippians 1.27, which says we should be striving together for the faith of the gospel. And last Sunday, we looked at the importance of being together in worship. Today, let's head over to 2 Corinthians 6, if you would, 2 Corinthians 6. And we're going to introduce the subject today of being together in growth. And 2 Corinthians 6 is, is such a powerful passage as Paul speaks about what ministry is and how every believer is to be involved in ministry. Ministry is not something for one or two or three people in a church. Ministry is for the entire body. And so we get over here to 2 Corinthians 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10 there. And if you're physically able, would you please stand for the reading this morning? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We then, as workers, together, so there it is, with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. In much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. And let's pray. Father, would you bless today as we speak from your word about being together in growth. And I pray that you would help us as a people to commit to being together in this very crucial topic and section of our lives. That we would be vulnerable enough to share our needs with each other, that we would be committed enough to help each other in times of need. And I pray that you would give us discernment in these things for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Would you listen to this song this morning? Come wherever you 
Michaela, for that. Be praying for all of our college students who are getting started with their new semesters. And Michaela's headed back to college tomorrow. And be praying for uh, all the various ones going to all the different colleges. Uh, Sharice Myers down at West Coast uh, had given a prayer request, and we're still 
trying to get the whole story on, on what had taken place, but one of her roommates on the way back from college got into an accident. Uh, I believe it was Friday night, and uh, we believe that she has, has died in the accident. And so it's a very serious thing, and, and we pray in for uh, all of the young people who are traveling at this time. I sure would appreciate that. I want you to go back with me to 2 Corinthians 6. And I want you to see in verse 1 again this special phrase. Look what it says. We then, as workers together with him. As workers together with him. What a powerful phrase that is. And you've got to think up front as we get started this morning that if Jesus isn't on the path with you, you're on the wrong path. That's just how simple it is. Without him, we can do nothing. And we see in this passage that Paul gives us a challenge to all who will be servants of God. And the challenge takes into account that ministry offers some big obstacles. And I want you to look here in 2 Corinthians 6 at some of the obstacles that he faced. This is in the first century. But look what he says. In afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, they beat him on the back with a cat of nine tails. Paul was beaten five times with 39 stripes. In imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, fastings. And you can see that he had these challenges. Now, in 2016, in American Christianity, we have totally different challenges than he, that he had. But we still have the same God. And we're still supposed to be laborers together with God. And we're supposed to be together in growth. In the end, you would have to understand that serving together with the Lord is always worth it, no matter what the obstacles are. No matter what the challenge is, you look down at the end. I love this last phrase he had in verse 10. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Isn't that powerful? That's what ministry is. It's not about what we have on this earth. It's about how much we serve God for eternity. And as we work together with the Lord, we also work together with others. We were talking in a life group this morning about being with other people. And I've heard uh, other pastors jokingly say, and I may have even jokingly said before, that, you know, ministry would be great if it weren't for people. Um, it's kind of a, maybe the wrong take on it, right? Uh, ministry is people. And uh, as people, we're here to love each other and to encourage each other and to uplift each other. And I realized that many of the important moments in a spiritual walk take place in quietness, in our alone time with God. We're going to see this morning that complete growth doesn't ever happen in isolation. God providentially supplies us with others to walk with us on the faith journey. And to show us this truth, we're going to trace this morning the path, I think, of one of the most alone people in all of Scripture. And notice how even in his life, God offered faith partners along the way to strengthen him and to mature his character. And so go back with me to 1 Kings 18, and we'll get into the message this morning. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. 1 Kings chapter 18. 
And before I get into the main four ways that God worked in Elijah's life, I want you to note something about Elijah. There is a way that God worked in his life that we wouldn't normally think of. So 1 Kings 18, verse number 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Oops, sorry, chapter 17. I'm in chapter 18. Here we go. 17. And Elijah the Tishbite, this is the right one, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, so this is wicked King Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years. Not these months. Not these weeks. These years, according to my word. In fact, it wasn't going to rain for three and a half years. And think about Elijah's life. One of the main ways that God worked in his life was through his adversaries. Through Ahab, mainly. Having a God-hating king opposing everything that he stood for kept Elijah engaged in his purpose. And at this conversation, uh, in the beginning of chapter 1, is, is you know him coming before Ahab and saying, hey, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. And then look over at chapter 18, verse number 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house. And boy, there, there was a battle of words going on here. And there was an adversary, I think, that sharpened Elijah and that made him more called to God's purpose. Now, I worked for a pastor many years ago uh, who felt that there should always be an enemy to keep him motivated. And in fact, um, he told us, his staff, if there's not an enemy, I'm going to make one out of somebody. That's probably not the right way to do it, okay? And we have enough enemies with the world and the flesh and the devil without purposely making enemies. But when God engineers an enemy in your life so that we can fight for Him and we can stand for His purpose, that's a different story. And when God leads the way toward opposition, we should engage in that in wisdom and strength. And I believe that that's what Elijah did. So we go back to his story, and that's just kind of an introduction. Uh, But here in chapter 17, Elijah proclaims there's going to be a lengthy drought and famine. And after he proclaimed that, it turns out he wasn't a very popular guy. He said, it's not going to rain And there's going to be a drought and a famine in the land for years. And all of a sudden, he wasn't popular. He was uh, unpopular, kind of like Ted Cruz type unpopular. right? Just just out of the mainstream. Nobody liked him. In fact, if you look at chapter 17, verse 2, the word of the Lord came unto him saying, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith. That is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And we see, first of all, in the message this morning, that God works through solitude. God often in our lives works through solitude. This is really, this is the foundational item 
for the message today. We're going to get to the point and we're going to see that God uses people as catalysts for growth in our lives. But you know, the path to a believer's maturity always runs through a private relationship with the Creator Himself. And if you don't have a private relationship with God, you can't succeed as a Christian. It's just how plain that is. I hope we all realize that there's no substitute for interaction with God. No one can do this for you. And we talked a lot about that last Sunday. So here's Elijah. He's by the brook Cherith, and he's got a lot of time on his hands, months actually, to focus on his relationship with God and to wait for his next instruction. And I've often wondered how it works. Because he's sitting here or laying here or camped here by the brook Cherith, and God says, okay, I've got water for you right here, and the food is going to be brought in by ravens. Have you ever seen a raven? Let me ask it this way. Have you ever seen anything uglier than a raven? (laughs) They're the most hideous creatures, right? And you walk by one at the zoo and you're like, ah! It scares you to see a raven. And there are places, of course, in the United States where you can drive down the side of the road and you see ravens sitting there getting their next meal. And you think about where Elijah got his next meal from. Right? Elijah is having roadkill that has been dropped on his camp by ravens. And he lifts his voice and says, God, thank you for another meal. You think we might be a little spoiled? Right? We, we go to the grocery store, we actually choose what we want. He had no choice. Uh, today, roadkill rabbit. Tomorrow, roadkill armadillo. Uh, the next day, roadkill gopher. Whatever was got hit by a chariot out on the road, that was his meal. Right? And sometimes the ravens found something that wasn't recently hit. Like it had been hit a few days before. And I'm going to try to be gross or gross you out. I want to take you back in your mind's eye, sitting here by this brook with Elijah, as he grows in relationship with God, and he has to have faith. He he has no choice but to have faith. Why? Because God's all he had to depend on. And if there comes a time in your life where God's the only thing you have to depend on, you can grow in solitude. That's what Elijah did. He began to grow in this time of solitude. And we're going to see other points in his life where he had solitude. Look at verse 5. So he went and did, according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Look at this. The ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. I've often wondered where the ravens baked their bread. And you know, I kind of have thought that there were some ravens who dove down into the king's bakery every morning, right? And grabbed a nice fresh loaf of bread and took it out to Elijah and dropped it in. And I often wondered if some of the meat that the ravens got was right from the king's table. You ever read about what Solomon served in one day? It's just unreal. I was reading it in my Bible reading just this past week. 
Solomon, for, for one day, had 10 fat oxen and like 20 deer and 100 game animals and so many bushels of flour that he had to use. And you think of King Ahab, this wicked king, who had every indulgence, and the ravens, now this is just my theory, and we get to heaven, maybe I'm wrong, but my theory is that the ravens swooped down and grabbed Elijah like some bread with caviar on it, right? There's no, she doesn't like caviar. She's like, no caviar, I'd rather have roadkill. <laughs> but Elijah's got this meal now in the morning and in the evening. And he spends the entire day with God. Look what it says in verse 7. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So even at this point in time where he's on the backside of the desert and the brook, the brook dries up, his sustenance is gone, he has had this passion ignited for God. This passion for a relationship with God ignited. And there are times when we get in these places where God sends us to the backside of the desert for a while until our passion is ignited or renewed. I want to have you hold your place there because we're going to come back. Go for just a second to Luke chapter 4. Because Jesus himself gives us the wording for this next part of the message, and it's, it's so interesting how it's stated. Luke chapter 4. Jesus is speaking in the synagogue in his home city there in Nazareth. And Luke chapter 4, verse number 25. He's, he's going off this theme, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Look what he says, verse 25. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias or Elijah. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Zidon, unto a woman that was a widow. Okay, so we learned something from Jesus here, and then we're going to go back to 1 Kings and investigate this. Not only does God work through solitude, but the second thing we see is this, God works through sustenance. We're back in 1 Kings 17, and I want you to notice the wording in verse number 9, God says to Elijah, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. See that wording? I've called the widow woman there to sustain thee. So Elijah, I know you're a prophet in Israel. And I know that you boldly prophesied it's not going to rain for three and a half years, and you went it before the king, and I've been feeding you by the brook, and the ravens are dropping food, and the brook's dried up, and so now I'm going to send you out of your country to a, uh, this village, Zarephath in Zidon, and there's a widow woman there who's going to keep you alive. Now, when you read about Elijah in the Scripture, you know, one of the first things that stands out, at least to me, is that he wasn't really an effeminate guy. Right? He was a man's man. Uh, he was about as much of a man's man as the Scripture ever describes. He's living in the wilderness. 
Uh, he really doesn't smell that good. He's got whatever wrapped around his body that's from an animal skin. And uh, goodness gracious, not your go-to guy, but it's like, whoa, GQ right there. Not Elijah. Elijah shows up in Zarephath in this village. And God says, hey, you're going to show up there. This, this widow woman is going to sustain you. And in his providence, God calls this poor widow to host Elijah during this time of drought and famine. And here's the interesting part of this. And it just strikes me as kind of funny. The poor widow woman did not know that she had been called to sustain Elijah until Elijah told her. <laughs> right? You think of this. He shows up, and he says, woman, could you get me some water? And she gets, gets us some water, and she's out fetching sticks, right? You keep reading in the passage. And he says, what are you doing? She says, I'm, I'm fetching sticks, and would bake a cake for me and my son, then we're going to die. We don't have anything left. And he said, okay, well, uh, you know, I'm Elijah, I'm a prophet, and I'm here in town, and bake me a cake first. And the woman said, well, wait, hold on. Do you not get the part where we're about to die? Do you not get the part where we don't have anything left? We have enough to make a cake for me and my son, and we're going to die. And he said, make a cake for me first, and there'll be enough. Make a cake for me first every day, and there'll be enough for you and your son. And it continues that way. And, and uh, look what he said, verse 13. Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. So this is the message from God to her. The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. You know, he stayed there for years. And this woman sustained him. And I want you to think in your life for a minute because there are people in your life that God has brought in for a moment, sometimes for an hour, sometimes for a day, sometimes for a week, sometimes for a season to sustain you. I remember when our kids were little and I mean our older kids were little. Now we've got a little kid. Um, but we, we were going over to see Amy's grandparents in uh, Grants Pass, Oregon, and it was kind of uh, probably late November, maybe it was Thanksgiving, and we were driving up around Crater Lake. And the people who just had the blizzard back in the east, where it's the end of the world, you know, horrible, horrible, and I'm sure it was bad snow for back east, but um, this was like snow. Like, we had to wait until a snow plow came by and go behind the snowplow so that we could see anything. Like I had my window down, I had my door open to try to see the line on the road. And we got over, finally got over Crater Lake, and it was snowing probably five, six inches an hour. And we, we got up around there, and we're coming back down the other side, and we just got out of the snow zone, and I hear the thump, the thump, the thump. And we got a flat tire on our wonderful Oldsmobile van. Oldsmobile, not veal. <laughs> that does sound good for lunch, though. 
road, little roadkill, little. But we get the thump, 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 and uh, so trying to figure out well, what are we going to do? Because uh, not only do we got to change the tire, but it is so dark because we're out of the snow zone, you couldn't see anything. Like I, I could barely see that there was a tire on the car, much less try to get the lug nuts. And uh, so we started to pray, with God, what's going to happen? And wouldn't you know it, there's no traffic on the road. There'd been none forever because people are smarter than we are, right? <laughs> you don't drive over Crater Lake in the middle of the night in the snow. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this guy pulls up behind us. What do you need? Oh, we got a flat tire. Not only does he hold the, have a flashlight, he changes the tire for us. And we go down into town and get it all fixed, and everything's good. And I've often wondered, just because I'm this, you know, angel theorist, some people are conspiracy theorists, that's my son Cody, that the angel theorists, like, did an angel show up? And my wife, we get down to town, she says it too, I wonder if that guy was an angel, right? And it, he showed up just at the right time. And God sent somebody to sustain us. You say, well, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody to make it. I am a self-made man. People can't grow in isolation. If you don't need anybody to sustain you, you won't ever grow as a believer. And there are people that God has brought into your life to sustain you. Sometimes it's for a season of your life. Sometimes they come in for a year or two, and then they're gone. But I want you to understand that Christian development doesn't happen on an island. God sustains his children. In Elijah's case, it was about basic food and shelter. In your case, it may have been an encouraging word or a job opportunity or a bill that was taken care of or a debt that wasn't held against you. Maybe a stranger who met your need. I want you to see something, though. Look what this dear Zidonian woman got for helping the Jewish prophet. Verse 17. It came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. Wow. This widow woman's been called to sustain the prophet. And now her little boy, the only thing she treasures in all of her life, is not only sick, but there's no breath left in him. He's dead. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Of course, Elijah is heartbroken by it. He carries the lad to the loft where he stayed. And he cries to the Lord and stretches himself upon the boy. And, and God hears his voice and heals the young man. You know, God worked a, a great miracle through Elijah, in this case of the widow's son. But can you understand her thought process? And this is the process that people get. And this is why sometimes people say, I'm done with other people. I'm done with growing together. This is what I get for helping people. You ever heard that? You know, some of the people in our ministry, we've been in ministry for just a little over 21 years now, some of the people that we have spent the most time, effort, money, 
tears over are the ones who've stabbed us the hardest in the back. And you sometimes can get cynical to the point where you say, I'm done helping people. If this is what happens when you help people, I'm out. And yet, God always wins in the end, and it's always worth whatever He's asked you to do. And so this woman, this is what I get for helping you. And yet, God gives her back her son, and and it's not always how it works in this this life. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how God's going to work. But we do know this. When you are an instrument in God's hand to sustain others, there's always a cost involved in your life. And there always is. It's always going to cost something big. But the reward is always worth the cost. The reward isn't how people treated you on this earth. The reward is how God treats you in heaven. The reward isn't anything about what happens here. The reward is eternal. And it's when we bow before the throne of the Almighty God. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what Paul was looking toward. And if God has asked you to partner with him together, and he has, we know that all things work together for good to those who love him. I want you to remember when you read that verse that it's by His definition, not ours. So there are times when God wants you to be sustained by others and to be vulnerable and to be open to being helped. But there are also times when God calls you to be the sustainer. God calls you to be the helper, and so God works through sustenance. But Then I want you to see this, God works through support. If you read in the beginning of chapter 18... And I'll just tell you the story because I don't want to read through it all. But you find that the governor of, of Ahab's house was a guy named Obadiah. Now, this isn't the same Obadiah that there's a book of the Bible named after. It's a different Obadiah. And some of you just woke up because you're like, there's a book of the Bible named Obadiah? Just, I've never heard of this. And you should read it sometime. It's very interesting. It's one chapter long. Uh, but Obadiah, the king's governor, if you will, He was in a very difficult position because on the one hand, he feared God. But on the other hand, he worked for this God-hating king. And at one point, Obadiah had been so brave that he had stretched out his neck and he had protected 100 prophets by hiding them in caves. And so now he's sent as a messenger to Elijah to let him know that he's on the team. And he let him know that he wasn't the only one left. But I want you to see what Elijah says, because he thinks he's the only one left. He stands on Mount Carmel, and even though Obadiah has told him, hey, there's a hundred guys I hid who are prophets, look what Elijah says, verse 21. Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. The people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Elijah thought that he was the last man standing. He thought he was the last guy available to be used by God in all of Israel. And when Jezebel, beginning of chapter 19, went after Elijah... 
it sent him into this downward spiral that's really even hard to read about. Look at chapter 19 and see if you've ever felt this way before. Ahab told Jezebel everything that had happened. Jezebel said, hey, I'm going to kill him. Elijah took off running. And he ran and he ran and he ran. He went a day's journey in the wilderness. Verse 4, he says, he, verse four, sorry, he says he sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Verse 7, he's sustained by angels. And I love what the angel says, arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. I want you to think about this for a minute. When you feel like you're the only person on the planet going through a deep struggle, you can rest assured that you're not. God often reminds us through these seasons of hardship that he has faithful children ready to connect with us and support us. And God will give you the support you need just when you need it. But you have to allow God to do this. I love how James words this in James chapter 1 when he says, let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So James says, hey, if you want to be a mature believer, you have to let patience do her job. And that's easier said than done. Because even though God wants to complete us, we have to let Him do it. And sometimes Christian maturity is supported on the shoulders of other Christians. I'm reminded what it says in Galatians 6. It says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we are together in growth, sometimes we have to carry other people's burdens. And sometimes we have to let other people carry our burdens. That's where Elijah was at. He needed help. He needed support. And so this is a two-sided thing. There, there are times when God offers you support through other Christians. And there are times when God calls you to be the support for those around you. Let me give you a little warning on this. Elijah was a great man of faith who had just accomplished a great victory in the name of God. And yet he had to be brought kicking and screaming to get the support that he needed. See, when we get spiritual victories in our lives, sometimes we feel like we don't need support. And there are people who would fight you tooth and nail because they would tell you, I don't need anybody to help me be a good husband. I've got this figured out. And the wife is like, you need help. And sometimes there are wives that are, oh, I've got this wife thing figured out. I don't need any other Christian women. I don't need to go to the ladies' Bible study. I know what this, I've got this all figured out. And the people around them are, please go. Please, would you go to the ladies' Bible study? And by the way, there's three weeks left, ladies' Bible study, 5.30 tonight. Just throwing that little commercial and see how that fit in. But sometimes teenagers or college students or whoever, whatever class of people it is, I've got, fig I've got it figured out. I don't need anybody help. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do, right? And we all hear the joke about 
teenage boys. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I'm going to join the Marines, right? There's a need in our life that needs met. And God wants to meet the need. God wants to help us with the support that we need. And then I want you to see the ending of this because it's so unique. Not only does God work through solitude and God work through sustenance and support, but God works through servants. If you read this whole chapter, chapter 19, it's such a beautiful chapter to see how God works with a still small voice in Elijah's life. But I want you to check out verse 16. God is speaking to him now. If you read back in verse 14, give you some context. Here's Elijah again. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, throw down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. Seek my life to take it away. God tells him, verse 16, second part of the verse, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. Verse 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. God says, Elijah, you're not as alone as you think you are. I work through people all over the place, And God works through servants. And so here you've got Elijah. And really, when you read Scripture, he is the ultimate loner. And he just, he doesn't really fit in well with people. It's not that he's an introvert. He just, he's just not a people person, right? He shows up and people start getting really antsy. And people start yelling at him and saying things to him. Maybe it's because of the smell. We don't really know. But What we do know is that he had been a loner all this time, and yet now God instructs him, I'm going to bring somebody in to partner with you. And friendship was coming whether he wanted it or not. And accountability was coming whether he wanted it or not. Camaraderie was coming. Camaraderie was come. I don't know what we said, but it's good. It's good stuff. I want you to move forward to chapter... Chapter 19, verse 19. Same chapter here. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. Pretty strong guy. He's got 24 oxen in front of him. And he with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. Said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah. Look at the last phrase. And ministered unto him. God brought somebody into Elijah's life at the season when he needed it most to minister unto him. And that's how we grow together. Because God sees both sides of the coin. God understands the solution inside now. God knows exactly who and what you need. I want to go to the ending of the story in 2 Kings chapter 2. 
As we close here, I want you to see this, un- this really unique relationship that Elijah had with Elisha. And how this relationship is a portrait of God's goodness to one of them, Elijah, and God's preparation for the other, Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 1. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, now look what he says, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, look what he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. I underline that because it's pretty powerful. I'm not leaving you. No matter what you say, I'm not leaving you. You need a minister. You need help. You need encouragement. Verse number four. Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. Verse number six. Same thing happened. Lord has sent me to Jordan. He said, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they two went on. If you know the story, what happens next? Elijah is going to be caught up by a whirlwind, by a chariot in the heaven without dying. You say, that's incredible. That is incredible. And yet, that's what's going to happen to the saints of God in the rapture. And so it's a picture of what's going to happen with us. But Elisha, Elijah had said, what, what can I do for you? Anything I can do for you before I'm taken up? He said, I'd like a double portion of your spirit. Verse 10, he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. Verse 12, and Elisha saw it. And as you work through that passage, here's what you find out. The relationship that God had forged between these two men became a huge encouragement and strength to the one and a huge training and proving ground to the other. And what I want you to get from this and understand from this is that God works through servants. God works through mentorship. God works through discipleship. He wants us to be together in growth. And maybe you're like Elijah and you're not really a people person. But God wants you to invest your experiences and your wisdom and your insight into another life. God has something that he's done in you that he wants to offer to somebody else. And the truth is, we all need to have some Elijah and some Elisha. We all really need to try to mentor other people. But we all need to be mentored at the same time. Until we reach heaven's gates, none of us have got it all figured out. And we need friends, and we need encouragement, and we need brothers and sisters in Christ, just like Elijah and then Elisha had. And if we could all be open to the togetherness that God wants to bring into our lives, I believe he'll be glorified through all that'll take place. Let's bow in prayer this morning. As we bow today, if you're here without Jesus Christ, I want you to know that we would love to take the word of God and show you how you can know Jesus as your Savior. And we could do that any time, any day of the week, any place. We'd love to do that.
But as we close today, would you, deep in the midst of your heart right now, speak to God about your need? Maybe you can't think of a need. Maybe you can't think of a way you need to be encouraged. God would have us to seek others who need encouraged. God would have us to seek others with needs. So as we close today, let's pray that God would give us perspective on this issue of being together in growth. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your providence and the way that you work in lives. And we see it so beautifully in Elijah's story, how you cared for him, how you sustained him, how you supported him. We thank you for the way that you support us with people that we don't even consider who've helped us. Maybe people we've forgotten to thank or to recognize. Maybe people we've never known their name and yet you've worked through them in our lives. So I pray that you'd help us to be mindful that we too have needs and help us at the same time to be watchful for others who have needs. Help us to be and to do what you've called us to do in these days in your kingdom where we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Ladies, don't forget.